Hey, welcome to the podcast for Scottsdale Baptist Church. For this episode, we are highlighting a special event that took place in our women's ministry and a special message that came from Ashley Poteet on God's use of insignificant people. We hope this message helps you discern what is true, what is right, and what is good. Also, we pray it acts as an encouragement for you today. Well, welcome to a Supper and Share with Flair. And you know, if our pastoral staff entrusted the women's ministry to Jamie Bentfield, they knowingly signed up for Flair. <laughs> Am I right? She does not disappoint. Well, all joking aside, we are so grateful that God has led Jamie to this role for what she will do in her service to the Lord and the women here at Scotts Hill. And we thank her so much, she and the women's ministry team, the whole team, for everything that has gone on tonight. It has been wonderful. So thank you very much for that. So I am Ashley Poteet, and I apologize for that old photo. I'm blaming it on COVID. That's kind of the trend these days. Mainly, we haven't had haircuts, and my little boys won't wear pants anymore. So that's as, as good as it gets. But uh, as we consider a flare, what is a flare? Like, what is the actual definition? Well, a flare is a fire or blaze of light used especially to signal, illuminate, or attract attention. A flare is a fire or blaze of light used especially to signal, illuminate, or attract attention. And as we look at the scriptures, we have countless examples of how God has drawn attention to himself in miraculous ways. I mean, he spoke all of creation into existence. He parts entire bodies of water for his people numerous times. I mean, he announces the birth of his son with a multitude of heavenly hosts. Jesus himself was called the light of the world. But that's not always the way God operates. And tonight I want us to flip that idea on its head. And I want us to consider that while our God is able, he does not always employ the use of flares. So if you have a copy of the scriptures or if you have your phone, you want to follow along. It'll also be on the screens. If you want to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I'll just set the scene for you. So the year is 850 B.C., Israel has fallen captive to Syria, but a remnant remains in Samaria. And Elijah, the great prophet, has just been taken up to heaven by chariots of fire. And Elisha, his successor, is serving as a prophet to the people um, in his place. And that's where our story picks up. So let's read the word of the Lord. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, And in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And if we skip down to verse 9, it says, 
So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It is a gift to us. I pray that you would help me interpret it rightly. I pray that it would pierce all of us, that we would be convicted, challenged, and changed for your glory. Move by the power of your spirit in this place tonight. And we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Our God does not always employ the use of flares. Let's keep Naaman's story in mind and break this down further. Our God is a God of unconventional means. Our God is a God of unconventional means. So by show of hands, how many of you in the room tonight are married? And how many of you have ever asked your husband to do something, watched the way he did it, and thought to yourself, have mercy. (laughs) I never would have done it that way. Now, I can think of a few examples, smaller examples, like when I've asked Jeffrey to help dress the children, or when I've said, hey, can you stop by the store? We need milk and bread, and we get Doritos and Oreos and all those other things. But this one time, we decided to install an above-ground pool, and I will spare you the details, but let me just say, have mercy I never would have done it that way. Do we have a picture of those sweet children? I mean, doesn't that make y'all say, have mercy? (laughs) And it's not that it's wrong for us to think uh, that we should do things differently, but our problem comes when we think that our way is the right way, and then we apply that to our relationship with the Lord. Friends, our God is able to do all he pleases as he pleases, whenever he pleases. He's not bound by what we perceive to be sensible or logical. And 2 Kings gives us that example of Naaman. He's a man of great wealth and success, perhaps even fame, who is literally rotting away from an incurable illness. The scriptures say that he was a leper. For those of you who aren't familiar with leprosy, it's a disease of the skin and nerves. And while leprosy in the Bible can refer to any number of skin conditions, it could have led to the loss of limb. And regardless, it always carried with it a social stigma. 
um, kind of a shame. As lepers entered towns, they were required by law to scream, unclean, unclean. If you can just imagine how shameful that would have been. And in ancient times, leprosy was both chronic and incurable. So if you or I were writing the story, maybe we would have developed a hero who kind of defies the medical knowledge of the day, develops a cure, Naaman's healed, there's all this fanfare. I mean, after all, he's a man of great wealth. Or maybe you want a little more flair, and maybe uh, somebody waves a staff over the place and it's instantly cured. I mean, that's what Naaman said he expected, right? He said, behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and Stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. I mean, he goes to far as say, as, you know, at least he could have sent me to a clean river. But God isn't bound by our ideas or expectations. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. I mean, surely Naaman, a man of great esteem and power and wealth, he was probably bathing as often as his counterparts. Uh, One more dip in the Jordan wasn't going to do it. I mean, that muddy river. But God's strategies don't have to match ours. And I think he knew that would perplex us. We see in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And again, in 1 Corinthians, it says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He doesn't consult us. He doesn't need us to help brainstorm He operates in his timing, with his methods, and at the end of the day, it's so that we can't possibly boast. Then only he gets the glory. I wonder just how many times have we considered our life's problems, and as we're toiling over a solution or resolution, we consider that God can only act in ways that we would act. I wonder how many times we've needlessly lost hope because we're trying so hard to sort things out, and we just can't. And the reality is that 100% of us are walking through unprecedented days right now. We're facing an unknown virus. We're facing an economic shift and educational changes for our children. At best, we're looking at a government that raises some eyebrows. And if we're honest in our weak moments, Some of us are wondering how in the world God is going to rectify any of this. We're leaning on our own understanding, and some of us are losing hope. Ladies, God is not bound by the solutions that you and I can propose. Let's consider that maybe he's doing something better. Our God is a God who uses unconventional means. The next thing I want us to see is that our God is a God who uses insignificant people. Our God is a God who uses insignificant people. So here's Naaman, plagued with disease and social stigma and possibly despair. His career may have been on the line. His life may have been on the line. I mean, he needed a miracle. 
And he may have thought that he needed a knight in shining armor, somebody kind of like himself. But who does God use? God uses a little girl. And I actually found her story in one of my kids' story Bibles. This is what it says. It says, once upon a time there was a little girl, a little girl without a name, without an age, without a genealogy worth telling, a little girl of obscurity. Assumedly, she lived with her parents, who were probably not people of affluence, and maybe she had a sibling or two or five or maybe none, and she might have lived in a one-room hut with a thatch-colored roof with her two pet goats, or maybe she didn't. We don't know. And one day, while she was playing in the sand in front of her home, she heard the faint thundering of horses' hooves. And in her curiosity, she looked up from her play, and she saw in the hazy distance the dust of the earth billowing up in great swirling clouds. And then she heard the screams of the village women. And in one great undefined moment, she was swept away by a pair of dirty, calloused hands, swept away with Syrian captors to be taken to an unknown land to become a slave in service to the wife of Naaman, where she would be used by God. The end. Now, y'all know I'm joking. No children's author's that bad. Just made that up. But you get the point, don't you? I mean, who was she? She was a nobody. She was a nobody, and God used her to share the message of where Naaman would find healing. She said, would that my Lord were with the prophet in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. Now, if you know the scriptures, you know there are plenty of times we see people and we recognize their significance. Um, If you think about the book of Genesis, you've got Joseph, favored son of Jacob, Pharaoh's right-hand man. And what does he do? Single-handedly saves the world from the famine. Then you've got Moses, prince of Egypt, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, raised in the palace, and he marches a million people out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery. Significant people. But there are countless others who don't make a name for themselves. I think about Ruth, the widowed Moabite woman. Or Esther, the orphaned Jew masquerading in Persia. Or Mary, young, unremarkable teenager. But these examples of obscurity, they kind of go against the cultural grain, don't they? I mean, we don't usually want to be people who are relatively unknown, We would like some recognition, or at least a little thanks and acknowledgement. It kind of reminds me of the story of Togo. Have y'all seen that movie? Are y'all familiar with Togo? Just saw it. And so for those of you who aren't aware, um, in the year of 1925, diphtheria threatened the town of Nome, Alaska, threatened to wipe it off the map. Uh, Many children had taken ill, and there was a serum shortage So there were a team um, put together of 19 dog sled teams who would travel over 600 miles in relay fashion during the storm of the century to retrieve the serum that was necessary for the town. And at the end of the day, um, when it's all said and done, all the accolades are kind of misplaced in a dog named Balto, who really did very little to uh, contribute to the salvation of Nome. Well, in recent years, Millions of dollars have gone into righting this historical wrong to ensure that 
Togo, the true hero gets the glory. Now, I, for one, am all for historical accuracy. But the sinful part of me kind of resonates with Togo. Like, let's make sure I get my name in lights. But God doesn't operate that way. The glory, the recognition, it doesn't belong to us. This little girl, she shows up for three whole verses. We never hear another word about her. We don't even know if Naaman thanked her. But none of that mattered. Ladies, this may not feel like a pep talk tonight. I'm not good at pep talks. But if we're honest, most of us are women of insignificance. Most of us are not going to be world leaders. We're not going to cure cancer. We're not going to influence millions. At best, most of us are going to leave a legacy like this little girl. But don't let that discourage you. We don't have to be women of significance to be used by God. All the esteem or renown we will ever need will be found in directing the attention of those around us to a God of significance. Be encouraged. Ours is a God who uses insignificant people. There's one more truth that I wanted to point out tonight in our time together. Our God is a God of unimaginable healing. Our God's a God of unimaginable healing. Now, if you haven't heard a word of said so far, don't miss this. Naaman's physical condition of leprosy, his healing, historical facts, they actually happened. But God gave us this story to point to a greater spiritual reality. Because the reality is, regardless of our rank in life, regardless of our physical afflictions, we are all plagued with a spiritual leprosy that's called sin. And sin is essentially our rejection of God's rightful rule over our lives. We're born with this heart of rebellion, and we are rotting away from our chronic incurable illness. The bad news is that there's nothing we can do. The worst news is, is that our situation is actually a lot more dire than Naaman's. Because ours carries with it a promised judgment and a death sentence. But the good news, the good news is that God has already sent someone with the message of healing. And while we're not told to bathe in a dirty river, we're told to do something that makes our heads spin equally. We're told to do something simple and watch God do the miraculous. We're told to bathe in the blood of Christ. And if that's an unfamiliar phrase to you, Christ's blood was shed for your sins. And what you're called to do, invited to do, is to acknowledge that sin, to acknowledge that spiritual leprosy, to turn away from it and trust that Jesus took that judgment and death sentence that was yours when he died and when he rose again. And when we do that, we are declared clean, just like Naaman was. Don't miss that bigger picture. And if you're here tonight and you've never acknowledged that spiritual leprosy of your heart, um, tonight's the night. There are women who came tonight to pray with you, to speak with you. In just a minute, the band's going to come back and lead us in one last song. During that time, if the Lord is working your heart, an awareness of sin that wasn't there 
or that he's been cultivating in you over time, those women will be at the back of the room. They can take you to a quiet place just to talk with you, pray with you, answer any questions that you have. For those of you here tonight who have been healed from that spiritual leprosy, let's use this next few minutes to consider whether we're trusting God to use his unconventional methods and insignificant people like us to accomplish his purposes. Thank you for joining us on the Scotts Hill Podcast. Thank you to those who continue to give generously to this ministry. If you want more information about Scotts Hill, how to get connected in your community, or want to know more about Jesus, visit scottshill.org slash next steps for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to get notifications of future episodes. You can also share it with your friends via text message or take a screenshot and post it on your social media stories. Just make sure to tag us at Scotts Hill. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.